If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible and you'd love a free one, we'd love to gift one to you. Uh, just raise your hand and Troy will uh, gladly run one to you or throw one at you, depending on uh, his demeanor, his, his attitude. I don't know. What, which would you do? Throw it. Okay. Um, so if you'd like to have a Bible hurled at you today, uh, just raise your hands. I think Mark has his hand raised. Uh, go ahead. Uh, he needs two of them. And so, uh, so we're in James 5. Uh, we actually have this week and next week, uh, and we will have traveled all the way through the entire uh, letter of James. But, but what has happened, I was joking with Corbett the other day about this, uh, or this morning about this, that, that what's happened these last few weeks is, is a theme has developed and that I wasn't aware of. And, and so these past two weeks, James has been pressing in uh, and really trying to help us understand the places we take our dependence uh, when it comes to our lives. And, uh, and this is helpful because uh, believing you are depending on God while actually depending on something altogether different uh, can be a difficult realization. And this is what James has been saying from chapter 1, that it is possible for you to be inside the church, because he's writing to church people, he says it's possible for you to be inside the church and uh, to deceive yourself and believe you're walking with God and not be walking with Him at all. Uh, and so, so what's happened these last couple weeks is, uh, he says, you know, you need to be aware of where you're depending, uh, mainly because life will take an unexpected turn and you can believe that God has let us down. And James will tell us there's a good possibility you weren't relying on God to begin with. You were relying on on something else. And, and so, so two weeks ago, James brings to focus uh, how the plans that we make say something about the dependence of our lives. Uh, that, that, that he paints this picture of a person who has business plans. They say, hey, we'll go to this town or that town uh, and we'll sell for a year there. Uh, and, and so... Uh, and, and all the while, he says, you know, you don't include God in your, the equation, and he warns us of the fragility of our lives, remember? Uh, he says that, you know, uh, your, your life, uh, that you can't control what tomorrow holds, right? Uh, you really can't even control what today holds. Uh, and then he says, when it comes to your life, it's, it's but a, a vapor. It's a mist. Like, you are here, and then you're gone. Uh, and so, so he says, when it comes to the plans that we make with our lives, as believers, he says, we must come in and make sure that God is, is invited to that conversation. Uh, and then uh, last week, uh, we, we followed Captain Self-Esteem, as what I'm calling James, uh, because he has no desire to pep us up, right? Uh, and, and he walks in and he warns us about the dependence of, of where, we pl- where we place our dependence when it comes to our treasures uh, or our riches. And, and it's a similar principle that applies to the plans, that, that the treasures we lay up, that it says something about where our dependence lies. And, and he reminds us that, that, number one, our treasures are temporary. Uh, he reminds us about uh, the effects that happen when our treasure, when, when we grip too tightly, that it affects how we treat other people. Uh, and then he will bring this great reminder that, that God doesn't bless you uh, so that you can hoard, God blesses you so that you can serve other people. And, and so, so, so the question that we have to ask is, okay, are we stewards or do we try to take ownership over those things? And when life gets hard, do we fall back 
in these areas of where we feel most secure. Uh, and, and we said it this way, that a faith that requires a safety net really isn't faith at all. Uh, and so, so, so he reminds us of these things. And, and in these two weeks, we can begin seeing the difference of, 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 of where we lean when it comes to dependence. And as, as hard as some of James's words can land, uh, that, that, that at least you know where you are as you examine your life. So, so, so when your plans take an unexpected turn and your life is rattled, uh, you get to examine where your dependence was. Uh, or, or when uh, your treasures corrode and diminish, which James says is happening, uh, at least you get to examine where your dependence lies. And, and what is even greater to me uh, is that we get to read these words from James written well before the story of us, uh, and yet we are included in these instructions, and we get to, um, we don't have to necessarily go to these broken and difficult places to know the healthiest way to live. That, 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 that this is where the Bible is living, and it's active, and it's part of our lives. That, that for some, uh, these words serve as a warning of things to avoid. Uh, for, for others, it serves as an explanation for why uh, circumstances are playing it themselves out the way that they, they have or they are. Uh, and then for others, it serves as, uh, as a light for taking steps in health, uh, steps in, uh, in not only the warning, but, but the correction of, hey, where are you when life gets hard ultimately leaning on? And, and so, and, and I make light, I call, I call James, you know, Captain Self-Esteem, um, but, but I make light of that, um, but, but what he tells us is so needed today. Um, what he gives us to chew on and to meditate on is so very helpful because by doing so, we get to understand, are we drawing closer to the heart of God or are we leaning more on our own abilities? Uh, and James is very open. He just says, it gets exposed. Uh, and so when, when life exposes us, James says, here's, here's the differences. And so these last couple of weeks, this theme has, has kind of driven itself to the surface of, okay, where am I leaning? Uh, where, who am I ultimately depending on? And again, we talk about this, that, that it can look, it, you can look very religious and yet depend ultimately on yourself. Uh, and so, so God is not a backup plan to anybody, okay? So, so uh, bring us down that road of memory lane uh, to bring us to today, because I think James is very specific in this third area, and I think if he had opened with it, we would have ignored the other two. Uh, so so he, he talks about our plans to soften the ground. Then he talks about our treasures or our riches to soften the ground a little bit further. And then today where he's going to talk about, he's going to say, hey, Let's talk about your dependence when life gets hard. Or better yet, let's talk about your dependence when you are suffering. And, in, and James says, there is a place that we go, and there's a place that's healthy, and there's a place that's unhealthy. All right? So this is, this is what you get to do this morning with me. All right? Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We are thankful that you love us. We are mindful that you care about us. And we pray this morning as, as we uh, get to talk about developing patience and suffering, uh, that we would understand your great care for us. That there's not a moment of our lives that happen that you are not aware of, that you don't put your hand on. 
And so I pray over these next few moments that we would be able, with the power of Your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to walk with You and see You in an incredible way this morning. That You would help us not try to build defenses, that You would help us try not to build justifications, that through the power of Your Holy Spirit, He would speak to us through Your Word, and we would be changed. We love You. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so here we go. James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 7. It says this, Be patient. Alright, if you like to underline or circle in your Bible, that's a good word. Be patient. Alright, brother, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, uh, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those uh, blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, here's, here's what I imagine. I, my bet is that as you woke up this morning and you rolled over, looked at your spouse with your morning breath and all, that you, you said, oh my gosh, really hope today when we get to church, he has a whole lesson planned on patience, right? And they're like, it would be even better if he talked about patience and suffering at the same time, right? Like, that's, that's what we all were hoping to see this morning. Well, you're in luck, because that's what we get. Um, and and, and, and I, know, I know when we use this word patience that we struggle with it, because we don't like it. We like it when we expect it out of others, but we don't like it when we have to expect it out of ourselves. That creates problems uh, in our lives. And, and so, in fact, we feel at times that, that this word, this topic, it, it haunts us and it reveals just how far from being patient we can actually be. And now, now as we talk about this, though, let's understand that James isn't... Go ahead, just pull it, McKenna. Just do it. Just go. Just rip that off. There you go. There you go. She, it was going to take you like 45 minutes to get that done, and it was going to bother me the whole time. Um, so, so when we talk about patience, let's understand this, okay? We're, we're not talking about, oh, I need to be more patient when I'm standing in a line, uh, or I need to be more patient when I'm driving down the road, okay? Uh, James, though you do need to be that, that's, that's, that's a small, very shallow version of that. So when you walk out of here and you say, hey, we talked about patience today, maybe I'll be more patient with my kids, that's part of what James is talking about, but that's not the root of what James is discussing. Okay? He's taken our patience into a place that, um, where it's tested the most. And he brings us to the center stage. And James is going to draw us towards looking at how we treat patience during seasons of suffering. Because ultimately, when we are patient, we have to wait. Right? And we are a people who don't like to wait for anything. And so, so James will, will draw us towards this, and, and our principle kind of applies the way it has these last couple of weeks. And 
you can write this in your talk notes, that our patience, as we talk about it in suffering, it says a lot about where our dependence lies. Okay, so, so the Bible talks about the virtue of patience, and it, and it doesn't speak about it in abstract ways. Right? Uh, when Jesus talks about patience, he's not doing it as a theory, he's doing it as a practice. Uh, and so, uh, so, so in the love of Christ, we have the ability to put patience into practice, and, and we're instructed in many places to patiently endure uh, hardships and heartaches until Jesus returns. And, and it's through this lens that I want to encourage us, I want to challenge us uh, this morning, and, and I think one of the questions we're going to ask is, is how can a gospel believer allow our patience to express itself in suffering as, we, as it draws us towards God? Um, because that's, that's what we find. And so, so and I think a great place to start, anytime we use like one word like patience, uh, is, is we create a definition of it. All right? And I'm really not a fan of this. I don't, I don't like anytime a person brings like the Webster's Dictionary defines, you know. Uh, but I'm going to do that for you. Uh, so Webster's defines patience as simply uh, being able to bear pains or trials calmly without complaint, uh, which is good, but I don't like it. I like, I like this one. Uh, better. Emma, can you go to the next slide? Thank you. That, and so, so as we talk about the context of James 5, this is the way we're going to define patience this morning. That patience is the willingness to stay put and stand fast when you'd like to run away. The willingness to stay put, stand fast, when really what you want to do is run away. Because this is what James has been telling us. When life gets hard, you're running somewhere. Okay? And when you are impatient and you are deciding to run... Right? And you want to go somewhere. Typically, we run to those places that offer us the most comfort, the fastest, and the easiest. And so we have scars in our lives of like, boy, that was a bad place to run to. We have regrets of, boy, that I thought that was going to pan out, and it didn't. And what James will say is simply this. When life gets hard, you stand still. That you avoid running to other places. In fact, he gives us these, these, he gives us these three illustrations uh, for how this starts to play itself out. And so, so this question we're going to ask is simply, how can a Christian experience godly patience as we wait for the return of the Lord? All right? And, and so now realizing that, that there, when it's, we'll, we'll get to it in a second. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. I do this all the time. Like what's going on in here is rarely what's going on out here. Uh, and so, so we ask this question, how can a Christian experience godly patience as we wait for the return of the Lord? This is what James has told us to do. And so to answer that question, to answer this need, uh, James gives us three illustrations uh, that we can walk through. And what we're going to do is we're going to see each illustration, and we're going to ask ourselves, what do we learn from that? All right? So he takes us right into verse 7, and he talks about the farmer. All right? And the farmer, he says this, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, but also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be able to be judged. Uh, behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so, so the farmer does much work, but has very little control over the harvest. Right? So, so he can't control the weather. Uh, that, that, that too much rain, the crop can spoil. Too little rain, uh, it, can, it can burn up. 
too much frost, it can just fall apart altogether. And so he's completely dependent on that, that, that he has to be patient uh, even with the seed, uh, that, that, he, that it takes time for a seed to sprout and even longer for it to grow into something that can be healthy. Uh, and and so, so the time in between the planting and the harvest is just as important because uh, that's where the growth is actually happening. And so James says, okay, as we talk about patience, we talk about struggles, we talk about suffering, you look at the farmer. Okay, and many of us, let's just be honest, uh, we would make horrible farmers if the impatience of our lives is any indication of those abilities. Uh, because here's what I mean. It's, it's in the, those moments when we decide that God is moving too slow uh, or God is not handling this in the proper way. Uh, that's when we decide to take matters in our own hands. And, and it would be a lot, like, a lot like a farmer who plows the field plants the seed on a Monday, right? Looks at it and says, oh, that's going to be great. So excited about it. Goes to bed Monday night, wakes up Tuesday morning, gets up there and be like, what's going on? Why hasn't this, why don't I have more crop here? I mean, I've done my job. Why isn't it producing the way I expected it to? And so here's what, here's what the impatient farmer does. And because it's what we do, didn't take. All right, I'm just going to go dig this back up. And I'm going to pick up my seed. I'm going to replow my field. I'm going to plant new. I'm going to plant the seed again. I'm going to cover it up, and then I'm going to bed. And you know what happens on Wednesday? They come in. They say, "Didn't take again." And this is what we do with our lives. Now, you might not want to admit it this morning. But this is what we do when we become impatient. We keep replowing. We keep pulling up seed. We keep trying to replant seed, and then we look at God and say, "What is going on here?" And God says, "Stop." Picking up the seeds. Because every day you pick up the seed, it's a day it doesn't have the opportunity to do what it's been designed to do. And it's to grow something. And so, so this, is, this is where a lot of us are in our lives. It, it's why we get frustrated with the same sinful habits that seem to haunt us. It's why we find ourselves in the same kind of conflict that it never gets out of. It's why eventually we lash out at God because our lives aren't different. And the truth is we keep digging up and replanting the same seed over and over and over again. And we never allow God to grow something in us. And this has been His promise all along. I am, I am remaking you. I've, I've replanted you. I am growing something in you that you have never experienced before. But in our impatience, we say, oh, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it fast enough. And so James says, look at the farmer and see where his dependence lies. That he has a role to play, right? He plants seeds. He pulls weeds, right? He protects the crop. But his success is contingent on the waiting uh, for God to supply both the early rains and the late rains. And so, so he gives more instruction in verse 8. He says this. He says, to establish your heart. Establish your heart. Now, the question is, why the heart? Right? Because, because the heart is the soil of our bodies. And the Word of God is the seed. So he says, establish your heart. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He says, there are seasons of the spiritual life, just as there are seasons of the soil, uh, that sometimes our hearts become cold and wintry, uh, and the Lord has to plow them up before He can plant the seed. 
He sends the sunshine and the rains of His goodness to water and nurture the seeds planted. But we must be patient to wait for the harvest. So here's, here's the question we kind of want to answer. What do we learn about the farmer? And it's simply this, that even when we feel there is no progress in our circumstances, this does not mean that God is not active in our lives. Okay? Even though we feel like the circumstance isn't changing, James says establish your heart because that doesn't mean that God isn't birthing something. God isn't growing a seed. That it just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of trust. That if we really do believe God is good, if we really do believe that God has our best interests at heart, he's, James says establish your hearts. He says you would stand, you would not move because God wants the fruit of the Spirit to grow and we grow strongest during the strain. Okay, I, I know that, that that might not be the way it's preferred, but it's the way that it works. That you will never be able to lift more weight by sitting on the couch. It's through the strain. That, that when our hearts are established, we stop plowing the ground so the seed can grow. We, we take our hands off of it. And this is why we're told to guard our hearts because that's where the seeds are growing. Because Jesus says that, that everything that comes out of our mouths, everything that comes from our hands, comes from our hearts. And so the Bible says, guard it. It's the wellspring of your life. He says, don't play games with it. He says, consecrate it. Give it to me because I'm creating it. I'm creating something new and beautiful with it. And so... so so when our hearts are established, we stop plowing. And this is, this is why we're told to guard our hearts, to be aware of what we allow our hearts um, to experience since it affects our whole body. And sometimes the heart should be, big, should be bigger and stronger than the brain. Uh, and so the heart that's not established cannot bear fruit. And so, so we keep in mind that the farmer doesn't stand around doing nothing. He's constantly at work. Uh, and James, so, so James doesn't tell the suffering believer to, hey, um, just get a white robe, climb the hill, and wait for Jesus to return, right? Because this is what, this is what he has said, right? He says, verse 7, he says, be patient. And he say, but for how long? Right? Because that's what we want to know. I don't mind being patient, God. I just need to know when, when the clock runs out and I don't have to be patient anymore. And James says, great question, until Jesus comes back. Right? So what does that tell us? That, means, that tells us that, that there won't be a day in the life of a believer as we live until Jesus returns that you won't have to walk in patience. Right? It's really unfair, right? You're like, the clock should run out to where I can throw a fit like every other kid that I've ever met, right? It's only fair. And again, the, the greatest celebration of the heart of man should be about the unfairness of God. And so, so our question is, if we have to wait forever in patience, so, so he throws this verse in a little bit later, verse 9, and he says, he says, hey, as you are establishing your heart, by the way, don't grumble against one another. And it seems like it's out of place, right? It seems like it's not part of the topic. Like, like why would he tell us to not grumble against one another if we're talking about patience and suffering? And it's simply this, that impatience with God often leads to impatience with others. Right? Have you, have you ever experienced that in your life? And, I, and, and I, think, I think our impatience with God will lead to impatience with others because it's easier to yell at other people and know when we've hurt them as much as we feel hurt. 
right? It's easier to see when you've broken the heart of somebody. It's easier to see when you've wounded them. And, and it's a dangerous cycle we don't realize we're trapped in much of the time. I remember uh, in a sociology class, and the guy put it this way, it's like, it's, it's, it's the husband who gets yelled at by his boss at work, and he can't yell at his boss, so he goes home and he yells at his wife. And the wife won't yell at the husband, so she yells at the kids. And the kids can't yell at the parents, so they yell at the cat. And the cat's like, I was just laying around doing cat-like stuff. I don't, I don't understand. But it was never about each stage, was it? There's always something here. And so impatience with God will lead to impatience with others. So James says, hey, don't take that bait. Because that's just gonna that's gonna compound the issues of your life. You're gonna carry this conflict into that conflict, which is gonna create a whole new conflict, right? And then that conflict is gonna compound itself in other conflicts. He says, Don't take the bait. So as you're dealing with patience, as you're walking in patience and establishing your heart, understand there will be other factors at play trying to tempt you away from the establishing of your heart. So not only would you have an issue with God, you'd have an issue with other people. And that pulls on us in different ways. And so, so he leads us uh, to, to the second illustration, the prophets, in verse 10. He says this, as an example of suffering and patience, okay? So James is bringing us into focus on, on suffering and patience. He says, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That's all he says. Just take the prophets. Go back and read about them. Watch their footsteps. And again, it's all about a matter of perspective. James says, scope back and look at the people who have gone ahead of you in the name of the Lord and look at the circumstances of their lives. And so, so he draws our attention to the prophets who, who encourage us by reminding us that God cares for us when we go through suffering for his namesake. For his namesake. And these guys, um, many of them had crazy crazy and painful lives. Uh, many of them were asked to do things that we look at and we're like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you heard God right. But yet they did. And they, they have the privilege, like we do, of, of the revealing and declaring God's truth to people and their lives serve as this case study of, of just our faulty thinking of suffering and God's will. Okay, because here's, here's the way we tend to think of it. We think when life is hard, when, when we are suffering, uh, that we have done something to displease God, or God is not aware of what's going on in our lives. Either way, it takes us to a bad spot. Okay? And so, so Satan, one of the things that he does, one of the things he tries to tell a faithful Christian is that suffering is the result of, of sinfulness or unfaithfulness, yet suffering might be, okay, there's a case to be made in the Bible, that suffering might be the cause of your righteousness. In fact, 2 Timothy says it very clearly in, James, in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says this way, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Jesus says in John 16, one of my favorite moments in all of the Gospels, uh, because Jesus is talking to his disciples about, Hey, I'm going to the cross. Your life is about to change, and it's going to get hard. They're coming for you. And they're coming for you because they were coming for me. And he says it this way, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And he's talking about the Jewish people. 
And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And so, so the issue that we face in the church isn't that, that we face um, that we face persecution or we face struggles, which we don't face near enough here in America. Okay? And I think there's a, that's a whole new lesson altogether. All right? We don't have the time for that this morning. Uh, but why that is, why we do have it so comfortably here. Uh, some would say it's about the blessing of God. Other, I'm sorry, we're not going to get into it, but we will. Some say this. Some will say it's the blessing of God, and I believe some will say it's the inactivity of the church. That, that we haven't done enough to even cause the demons to worry about us. Because we come, we're comfortable, we're well-fed, and we move along, and we don't ruffle any feathers. And so we make an agreement in our apathy that even Satan says, I don't have to worry about those people. They can be lost in their religion all they want because they're not making that much of a difference. That's, I'm sorry, that's where I tend to lean. That's where I tend to lean about the comfort of the American church. Because you go to other places in the world and that's not the case. Okay, but we're, we're not getting there, Troy. Stop baiting me into this discussion, sir. All right? So what, what did we learn? James says, look at the prophets, and this is what he tells us. That you can be, hear me when I say this, you can be in the will of God and still experience difficult seasons. Okay? You can. You can be doing the very things that God is telling you to do, and all hell break loose in your life. Alright? That's entirely possible. And so you follow the steps of the prophets, and you'll find this to be true. Follow God long enough in your suffering and you will find this to be true. That much of our credibility surrounds those painful seasons where God's great abilities to sustain and to protect and build us up are put on display. They're just put on display. That, that I'm a firm believer that the more we know the Bible in our head and in our hearts, the more God can encourage us in those difficult situations as doing what Jesus says. I will bring these things to your memory. I will remind you of people who have gone before you, who have walked among you, and you get to see God's goodness in their lives as He rescues them in their suffering. And so I think, I think the important thing is that like the farmer, we keep working. Like the prophets, we keep witnessing. No matter how trying the circumstance may be, we establish our hearts because we believe in faith that God is caring for us in those moments. And now, again, this, there's a separation we need to make because there are moments of sin in our lives that God says, I will, I will correct that. I will bring discipline in. We're not talking about those. We're talking about when we are walking sin-free that we aren't bringing cause before God in life that's hard. Okay? There's a distinction. So, so this leads us to our, our third illustration, and we'll find this uh, on display. James says, remember Job. Remember Job. Uh, coincidentally, in this Bible reading plan that I'm in, I'll spend the rest of this year walking through the, the book of Job. Uh, and it's brought up some really interesting questions to me about the way we, and we'll talk about this a little bit, uh, but the way we think about best case, worst case scenarios of our lives. Uh, but, but Job, um, he says this, verse 11, in James chapter 5, verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is 
compassionate and merciful. Okay, so circle those words because uh, that's going to be important for you here in a little bit. Uh, but above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no. Okay, so we can't separate that verse, by the way. Uh, it's a good pastor trick to try to just exclude that, separate this verse and place it and say there's a principle here that doesn't run in context with everything else. So we'll talk about where the connection is. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. That, that there's a blessing that comes as we are patient during suffering. That, that you can't persevere unless there's a trial in your life. Right? There's no victories without battles. There's no peaks without valleys. Right? We can just keep doing the, you know, you can't go left if you don't go right kind of game. That, that if you want the blessing, you have to be prepared to carry the burden and to fight the battle. And, and this is an appetite we don't have near enough in our church. We, we, what we want to do is we want to escape the trial and we want to pray prayers for God to rescue us while never coming in as Job will and say, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Though you ruin me, yet I praise your holy name. That, that our prayers, again, part of our dysfunction is we pray a lot about our comfort and not a lot about God being put on display. That we'll say, God, rescue me before we say, God, make yourself known. And it's, it's an issue. And so we're reminded of Job. And it's a, it's a long book. Uh, and in, in Western society, it's, it seems to be tedious uh, because basically it's broken down into three sections. That the first three chapters, you have Job in his distress, right? Uh, he's, he, he loses his wealth. He loses his family, uh, except for his wife who tells him, hey, you should probably just commit suicide, right? Um, he loses his health. Then Job 4 through 31, uh, it's this, this really interesting, um, I guess, shot into a campfire moment uh, as Job is suffering uh, and his friends come along, uh, you know, and as friends do when they don't know what to say, they just start talking, right? And for like, like 40-something chapters, it seems, that, that they're having this discourse about how Job has arrived in this moment of his life. And his friends, they will offer just, just a plethora of, 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 of possibilities. And Job will come in and he will defend himself. And, and then something happens toward the end, verses, uh, chapters 38 through 42. Uh, Job, uh, it presents Job's deliverance. First, God shows up. One of my most favorite moments in the Bible. Uh, because, because these guys have been sitting around trying to tell Job what God thinks about this situation. And God comes in and he says, I think it's cute you guys think you know so much, but you know nothing. And in one of the most great moments, in, and I think in all of the Bible, God says, Were, are you capable of seeing things the way that I see them? Were you there? I think this is where I get my gift of sarcasm from, because I feel God is being very sarcastic with these guys. Like, oh, were you there when we made the mountains? Remember that? No, you weren't? All right. All right. That's how I carry sarcasm through my life and say, it's okay. It's okay, you know. And so in 38 through 42, God shows up. He humbles Job. He humbles his friends. And then he restores Job in an incredible way. And what's important to remember is with Job is that, that in the midst of his suffering, he doesn't have the behind-the-scenes knowledge that we did. 
Okay? This is easy, right? right? And can we just agree that, that that we would be able to endure? We, I'm sorry, let me sidetrack that a little bit. We claim we would be more willingness to endure suffering if we knew, again, how long it was going to last and what was the purpose for that. Right? Again, that's a, that's a faith with a safety net. It doesn't work that way. So Job doesn't have that. We get to know in the first couple of chapters that, that Satan and God have this conversation and Satan's saying, hey, uh, you know, if we take away his stuff, you know, that really wasn't enough. Now let's hurt him. And, and he has no idea that God is saying, hey, Job's righteous. He's not going to turn his back on me. He has no idea of that. And so Job is suffering real time with zero knowledge other than my faith has secured me in the goodness of God. My faith has secured me. Naked I've shown up, naked I'm leaving this place. So anything that I get is more than what I deserve. So Job comes in and, and it's difficult to find a greater example of, of suffering than Job uh, outside of, of Jesus suffering on the cross for our sins. Like that's the greatest example of suffering that we will ever experience. That he literally takes on the sins of the world that he didn't deserve, but he took on for us. Greatest amount of suffering. That, that for one nanosecond, he experiences his father turn his back. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so, but for Job, his circumstances were against him. He lost his health, his wealth. He, he lost his children. His wife says, curse God and die. His friends they're against them because they accuse them of being a hypocrite, deserving the judgment of God. And it seemed like, it seemed like God was against them. When Job cried out for answers, there seemed to be no reply from heaven. This is, this is Job's argument. Like, hey, I've been trying to talk to him. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, guys. And yet he endures. Satan predicted that Job would get impatient with God and abandon his faith, and that didn't happen. Uh, and it's true that, that Job questioned him. Right? It's, it's true that Job walked in and said, God, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing here. This, this hurts. This is painful. I've lost it all. But yet he still says, though you slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him because God has allowed me to, to utter a word in his presence. So Job was sure of God's perfections, that, that he persisted in arguing with him, even though he didn't understand. That's endurance, that's patience, that's being steadfast. And so, so one of my commentators said it this way, the book of Job refutes the idea that all suffering belongs to the sinner. For Job was a righteous man, and yet he suffered. God found no evil in him, and even Satan could not find any. Job's friends could not prove their accusations. Job teaches us that God has higher purposes in suffering than the punishing of sins. Job's experience paved the way for Jesus. That the perfect Son of God who suffered, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the world. So in Job's case, what was the end purpose of the Lord? That it was to reveal himself as full of pity and tender mercy. The mercy and the compassion of God. This is what James tells us, right? Certainly there were other results of Job's experiences, for God never wastes the suffering of his saints. Job met God in a new and a deeper way. And after that, Job received the blessings in the Lord. But, 
If God is so merciful, someone may argue, why didn't he protect Job from all that suffering to begin with? Isn't that our argument? That if God really did love me, why did he let this happen to me? To be sure, there are mysteries to God's working that our infinite, that our finite minds cannot fathom. But this we know. God was glorified and Job was purified through this difficult experience. God was glorified, Job was purified. And if there is nothing to endure, you cannot learn endurance. Okay, so let's get to the question. What what do we learn from Job, right? Uh, We learn a lot of things, but specifically this morning, we learn that the purpose of patience and suffering is about pursuing the glory of God. It's about pursuing the glory of God. That in our suffering... God will be glorified in the rescue and He will be glorified in the sustaining. Uh, and I think one of the best questions we can ask in difficult seasons when we want to give up is, is simply this. Did it kill you? Okay? Did it kill you? It's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the phrases we use at the gym all the time, right? Uh, you get done with the workout, you're laying... I've never thought of laying down as a reward for anything until you start working out and you're like, no, this is... All is right in the world because I've finished an eight-minute-long workout. <laughs> so the joke around the gym is, is, but did it kill you? No? Okay. See you tomorrow. All right, we'll do it again. But did it kill you? And I think this is a question we rarely ask when it comes to the suffering of life. Because there are moments, right? We can think this morning, you have, if you're anything like me, you have been thinking through difficult seasons of your life. And if you are in one, understand this, the, the last one didn't kill you, so this one might not either. Okay? And it takes us through this, I, I really don't have time for this, Troy, but it takes us down this, this conversation of, of best case, worst case scenarios when it comes to our lives. That my contention is we think of worst case scenarios and, and poorly. That there, there's a case to be made in the Bible. And, that, and now, granted, I'm in a season right now, I'm healthy. My wife loves me for the moment, right? My kids are good, you know? So, so there's not a ton of like, now there's, there's hard things going on, but there's not suffering to the point of Job, but I'm left curious thinking about, okay, so, so if, if, I get, if I go to the doctor, I go to the doctor once a year, so if I go to the doctor in April, and they run some tests, and they come back and they say, hey, you got some results that aren't good. And we, we have people, that they've walked through this here. Like, what's the best case and the worst case scenario? As a believer, okay, I'm just, I'm talking out loud to you. What's the best, okay, if you have cancer, what's the best case scenario, what's the worst case scenario? Because my money says, and I'm not telling you you're wrong in this, I'm just, I'm just saying, let's, let's ask the question. Your best case scenario is that you are healed, right? Okay? But is there a case to be made? Okay? And I know this, you're like, this guy really, I think he was drinking this morning. Alright? But is there a case to be made that the worst case scenario is that you're healed as a believer? That the best case scenario is that God would be merciful enough in your life to just bring you home. Paul tells us this. He says, he says listen, if, if I had the choice, I wouldn't hang out with you thugs. Because the, every moment I'm here is a moment I'm not with the Lord. It's a moment that I'm not beholding 
the splendor of my King. And yet God has allowed me to live for the glory of His name and for the benefit of others. Okay? And now, I think we get this backwards. And I'm not saying that you're wrong when, when we pray for healing. I'm not, I say that like, pray for healing. I don't mean it like that. Like, I don't think we're wrong when we gather together and we pray for healing. But we treat, I think, worst case, best case, in, in the worst of ways as believers. That there's, much too, there's too much sorrow when a believer dies. And it says something about our jealousy. <laughs> that that I, I just don't know. Because Paul makes this argument and it's beautiful. And it seems like it's abstract, but it's not. It says the best thing a believer can experience in life is death. Both the death of themselves now and the death of their bodies later. And so we, we get to live free. And I, I think too often, again, we think of that as, as the worst case scenario. And, and I think it's a hard pursuit for many of us for, for a lot of different reasons. Again, I don't, I don't bring judgment because I haven't worn your shoes. I haven't sat with the doctor. I haven't sat with your spouse. But, but I just, I'm just curious because what James reminds us of the suffering, about what the suffering of Job was about, the compassion and the mercy of God being put on display. That, that verse 12, it, it's another one. It seems a bit out of place. Uh, we, we ask, you know, what, what does speaking oaths have to do with our problem of suffering? Uh, and it's simply this. If you've ever suffered, you know the answer that, that it's easy to say things you don't mean. It's easy to bargain things that you're not willing to pay. So James says, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Understanding that God has given you breath today, not for the comfort of you, not for the story of you, not for the proclamation of how great you are, but that, that God has given you life today for the glory of His name and for the benefit of others. That's the way... That's the way it plays itself out. Oh my gosh, it's 11.50. I just saw Chris telling everybody, hey, uh, this guy's rambling too long. Um, all right, so we're going to wrap it up. Here we go. Like the farmer, here's what we do. We wait for a spiritual harvest um, for that precious fruit that the Lord will glorify God. Uh, that will glorify God. Like the prophets, we look for opportunities to witness. Uh, like Job, uh, we, we wait for the Lord to fulfill His loving purpose knowing that he cares for us. Knowing that He cares for us. And if we're talking about patience and suffering this morning, we, we can be pretty open with each other by saying, when we are suffering, we are most tempted to run away. And typically, the places we run to are the ones that offer us the most convenient support. And so what I believe James is saying here is, is that when you run I think what James is saying is where you run is the source of your dependence. You with? That where you run is the source of your dependence. Where you're running to. And that could be anything, right? Where you run to is the source of your dependence. And since God is good, this is his argument, since God is good, since he cares for you intimately because you are in his care at all times, in the easy and in the hard, that you don't 
have to run anywhere, which is why he says, establish yourself. Stand your ground. Let God grow what he has planted in the soil of your heart. And then you join with the psalmist when, when they say things like, Oh God, you are my God. Oh God, you are my rock. Oh God, you are my refuge. Oh God, you are my provider. Oh God, you are my shield. Oh God, you are my defender. That all of our suffering finds its purpose in the glory of God. Now I get that's a hard pill to swallow. I'm with you. I'm with you. That doesn't mean it's not right. If, if we're not right about it, let's, let's have that discussion. So, so when we have a view of God that is this big, our prayers and our suffering grow up and we pray for God to be glorified and magnified in these seasons of difficulties of our lives. We pray less about avoiding discomfort and we pray more about intimacy with God. I love you guys. I, I apologize. Let's assume that I got up late and Chris took up all that other time. All right, This is your fault, sir. The Baptists are going to get to furs before us. <laughs> furs? Where did that come from? Is there furs around us? Lubies? Is there lubies around us? I just need good cafeteria food, bro. All right. I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. All right, we're, as we dismiss, if you need prayer this morning, uh, the Hansons are going to be over here. We would love to pray with you. Uh, if you need anything, if you need money, Mark's going to be right here. Uh, you need somebody to mow your yard today, Swan's going to be back there. All right, let's pray. I'll we'll dismiss you. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you walk with us in every single season and circumstance of our lives. We thank you, thank you, thank you that we have the privilege of being known by you. And I pray as we, not as we close the book on suffering this morning, as we just open into more and more chapters of understanding your movement in difficult times of our lives, that, that we would be drawn to you in those moments. That our faith would grow us in such a way that you are our source. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.